0: Welcome to The Man Talk Show, I'm Connor Beaton, and uh, on this episode, we are doing another anonymous guest, and so my guest joining me today, uh, we dig into a few things, one of of which uh, is body image, Um, but we briefly touch on that, and that brings us into a a more in-depth conversation about addiction. Uh, So my guest today, his mother struggled with alcoholism, And it was quite pervasive throughout his entire life. And this is a theme that I've seen in many, many, many people that I've worked with over the years, countless people who have had a parent or a sibling or family member or a partner who has been an addict or they themselves have been an addict in some way. And addiction is something that touches a lot of our families and can be quite challenging to move through and navigate and can be something that becomes pervasive in our own lives and our own relationships it can seep into our interactions with our partners how we view ourselves how we are able to set or not set boundaries the conversations that we have how we address conflict so as you listen to today's episode i just want you to have that filter bring that that awareness bring that filter into this conversation and just listen for how and what resonates with you? How do you see yourself in this individual or his family story? What feels true about your family system? Does any of this resonate with you? Uh, for the people that are out there that do have family members or friends or partners that are addicts, what about this conversation really lands for you? Uh, I would love to hear. So, of course, as, as always, if anything stands out for you, uh, please do Direct message me, DM me on Instagram, at Mantalks. I know some of the previous anonymous guest episodes have uh, really been hitting home for many of you and your families and your upbringings and liberating in many ways. So just listen for the connectivity here. While his story might sound different and the interactions might sound different, uh, there might be pieces of this that feel very, very similar. And the last thing that I would say is let yourself feel in this podcast. Um, one of the things that I've noticed with these anonymous guests is if I get a lot of messages from men and women who listen to these, and there is a certain kind of catharsis that is um, palpable in these conversations because these are just real people, right? These are just real uh, men that are that are experiencing um, their challenges and their childhood and their trauma and their neglect or abuse or abandonments, and so. Uh, give yourself permission to feel along. Don't just listen along. Feel along, as they say. What you cannot feel, you cannot heal. So, without any further delay, please welcome my anonymous guest. All right, my anonymous friend. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Yeah how are you how are you feeling about our conversation this morning?
1: I feel really good about it. I'm excited.
0: Good, wonderful. Well, um, why don't we why don't we just start off by f- framing this session, framing this conversation from a place of maybe getting a, a bad experience off of you or out of you or or just being able to release something from your mind, from your heart. So maybe we'll just start with that. What what are you potentially looking to to work on, work through, or release?
1: I've struggled with my weight my whole life. And I was in the military. And in the military... You're judged by that, and I was an officer, so the expectation is that much higher. Like that, you look in, you look a certain way, and I yo-yoed throughout my career on um, based on like I would make the standard, and my confidence level was highly tied to that. When I was a young kid, my mom was an alcoholic, and I think my weight gain stemmed a a lot around um, her alcoholism and numbing out from it and also experienced shaming from her around it and experienced a pretty traumatic event related to school that my mom, like I came home from school and my mom basically told me that no one liked me. And so I kind of internalized that and, My motive has always been, how do I get people to like me? And I use that as a motivating factor when I would go on diets and things. And now I've been in the Alliance for a few months since March and worked really hard on that. And I can see how that is bullshit. (laughs) Mm. So now I'm like, well, how do I motivate myself if I took away my main motivator?
0: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of external motivation in the past, wanting to maybe Im- in sort of improve your own body image for other people, right? And how else? How else would you word that? What was the motivation? What's the motivation that you felt, or the impetus that you felt to to quote unquote get into shape for other people? Why has that been important?
1: So I almost think of it like a Facebook post or something. It's like. I see myself in the mirror, the way I look now I'm like, Ugh. and I think about or visualize myself being where I want to be. And I'm like, and I visualize praise from people mm. and it would fire me up, which now that just leaves me feeling uh, like because of the work I've done, I don't get that fired up anymore. I get the, well, that sucks <laughs> <laughs> feeling.
0: Mm hmm. mm -hmm, Okay. So tell me a little bit more about where you feel the origin of this perspective on your body has come from. Like, what are some of the contributing factors? You mentioned mom shaming you. You mentioned an incident at school. Can you give us a little bit more context for that?
1: So, my mom would always say things like, if you just lost 15 pounds, you'd be such a good looking boy. Or one time when I was younger than 10 she said something like can you even see your penis when you take a shower Hmm. and that um was very crushing Mm -hmm. and then when i was
0: just pause there for a second where where do you feel that when you say it because i could see that it still hits you
1: it feels like an emptiness in my in my chest and it feels like a shudder. I just feel like wobbly in my arms and legs.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, just, just stay with that emptiness just for a moment. Just see if you can connect to it and see how old that part of you feels. How long does it feel like that part's been there for?
1: Since I was eight or nine, at least.
0: Okay. So this part of me shows up when I...
1: Don't feel like I'm enough.
0: Mm-hmm. And it says things to me like.
1: You're disgusting or. Mm. Just get your shit together and. Like be disciplined.
0: Okay. All right. So a little, a little bit of shame being deployed internally. Tell me a little bit more about, and we'll, we'll come back to mom in a sec. I don't want to feel like we're skipping past that, but tell me a little bit about what happened in school?
1: So I came home from school and there was like some sort of survey or something we filled out. I was in the fourth grade and my mom said, we need to talk. I had a meeting with your teacher and the school counselor and they're concerned. I'm not supposed to tell you this, but there was, do you remember this questionnaire? And it was like, Um, what kid would you take to the party and put the name and what kid would you not take to the party and put the name. Every kid put that they wouldn't take you and every kid put nobody put that they would take you. And then the teacher that I had had us in like groups of four because she thought that was like the wave of the future. And because I was disruptive or something like that, I was going to now sit by myself. And I came to school the next day and There was my desk at the front of the classroom, and I was put all by myself, Mm. isolated from everybody else. And I remember going to recess and looking at the kids on the playground. I can see the spot. I can see everything. And I remember thinking, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get them to like me. Mm. And I even went up to the teacher and told her something to that effect. So, okay. No, no, I've carried that for a very long time.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I can see a lot of pain in that, a lot of sadness. So let's let's just work with that for a minute, because I think a lot of a lot of people can resonate with that. You know, having an experience of feeling shamed, of feeling singled out, not feeling worthy or good enough. So I'm just going to get you to close your eyes for a moment, okay? Just take a nice deep breath in. Now. And, and just give yourself permission to keep seeing that scene. You're observing it. Just see the desk there. Nice deep breath. Notice the classroom and what it looks like. Where do you see yourself? Where do you see the younger version of you? in this room
1: i'm standing at the front of the classroom looking at all the desks and i can see like the little sink thing to the left and my desk sitting there under the marker board
0: okay yeah and what's younger what's younger you thinking what's he feeling it's not fair okay yeah so one more deep breath in And And just allow yourself to be that little boy again. Just notice what it feels like to stand in his spot, looking out at the classroom, looking at the desk.
1: Feels lonely. Yeah.
0: So right now I feel... Alone. What I want other people to know about me is
1: I just want you to like me.
0: Yeah. I want you to like my... Personality.
1: I... like just who I am.
0: Mm-hmm. I want you to accept me for my... Loudness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a little boisterous as a kid. Yeah. A little rowdy. Yeah. Okay. All right. One more breath. Good. So if the little boy had a voice, what he would say to his teacher is,
1: Why are you doing this to me?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So saying that feels...
1: Empowering?
0: Yeah. And as a parent, as a man, as a parent, what I would want to say to that teacher today is,
1: Have you lost your fucking mind? Mm-hmm.
0: Can you say it again a little bit more directly, just like you would say it if it was your own children? What would you say to her?
1: Short of wanting to choke her,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: um, have you lost your fucking mind?
0: Mm-hmm. How could you? Just stay with it. Just stay with it. Try and keep your eyes closed if you can. And it's a little emotional. Yeah. How? How could you? This is still to her. How could you?
1: How could you treat? How okay. could you treat my kid that way?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. How could you treat me that way? Why could you treat me that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way you treated me was?
1: Wrong. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, where I feel the sadness in my body right now is? In my heart. Yeah. Okay. Just put a hand over top of that. Just where, where you feel it. Just bring your awareness, your attention to that. And just feel any of the pain that's coming up there. This pain that's been there for decades. Long time. years Mm -hmm. so if this pain had a shape it would look like a cylinder hmm is it moving is it stationary it just
1: is like a heavy weight in my heart
0: Hmm. if it had a color it would be purple okay yeah and it's heavy yeah Who's holding on to that cylinder? Do you see anybody there?
1: Not right now.
0: Okay. Is there anybody inside of it? Anything inside of it?
1: My mom, for sure.
0: Okay. How come? Why is she in there?
1: Given the experience I've recently gone through of of working through that pain in my mom, without giving too much context, I guess, just my mom's alcoholism and recovery and relapse and death. It's just, I carry that weight of all that pain Mm
0: -hmm. in my heart. Yeah. A lot of carrying, a lot of holding on to things, holding on to the pain from that younger version of you, holding on to the pain of mom, holding on to not feeling chosen or accepted by her or loved fully lots of carrying. So the weight that I've been carrying around is exhausting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's exhausting because I,
1: I trying to find the words for it. I try to grit through it and Mm -hmm. endure it. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I've tried to deal with my pain like that because that's what i had to do as a kid yeah as a child when i was hurting i was told
1: i don't know that anyone really all the energy was on my mom so mm-hmm. like if there was a solar system of our family it revolved around her and her alcoholism
0: mhm yeah and... So let's let's talk to that part of her. Let's talk to that part of her. Let's just describe a little bit what her alcoholism was like. What was it like for you to be around it? What impact did it have on your family? It it's kind
1: of like an onion. Like when I was really little, it was confusing and there was a lot of anger and things. <sighs> How to describe okay. that.
0: Yeah, it's okay. So so if my mom's alcoholism was an animal, it would be?
1: I guess like a like a raging bull, like in a rodeo or something.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and being around that bull felt? It's scary. Mm-hmm. How come? Because you
1: never knew what was coming and you had to stay out of the way.
0: Right, so just talk directly to her alcoholism. So being around you felt? Scary. Yeah, and as a child, when you showed up, I...
1: Wanted to go to my dad, like, to protect me.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah, but I couldn't because?
1: I mean, he was there, like, parents were married, but my dad was very codependent. He just endured it like the rest of us.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. One nice deep breath in. Now. So just keep communicating with her addictions. So when you showed up, the impact on my mom was she went from loving
1: to like, hateful and mean.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you took from me was?
1: Everything.
0: Yeah, you robbed me of?
1: My childhood. Yeah. And? L- well, later on, because when I was around 10, my mom recovered from alcoholism and was sober for many years, but she relapsed when I was in my 20s. Mm. Um, it took hope and it took my family and the traditions and the things I loved.
0: Yeah. What parts of your mom did, did it take from her? What parts of your mom did the addiction erode and destroy?
1: The, the fun-loving, caring person. Mm-hmm. What else? I mean, it, it took... Well, I mean, her being a grandma, so she's not here now. So <laughs> my kid's yelling in the background so it took that like her being here for them
0: yeah yeah okay so realizing that feels
1: sad and angry
0: Mm -hmm. okay so nice deep breath in and all the way out so if my anger had a voice and can speak to her addiction it would say
1: Fucking hate you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe one more time.
1: Fucking hate you.
0: What you did to my family was. Despicable. Mm-hmm. Keep going. It was despicable despicable and. Selfish. Mm-hmm. If my anger wasn't being so nice, it would tell you.
1: Hate everything about you.
0: <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I have to keep my anger at bay around you because
1: um, I guess I have to have to take care of everything. I take mm-hmm. care of everybody.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like the addiction you feel is bigger than you. Bigger than your anger, bigger than your ability to stand up to it. The raging bull. So I've had to be small and play small and be quiet around you because this is still to her addiction.
1: God, there's so much like it as a kid, it was so I don't, so I don't get hurt.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And my addictions are
1: numbing out. Um, mm-hmm. Like when I'm overwhelmed, I will endlessly scroll like the news or Social media or things without even really looking at it. Mm-hmm. And if I'm really upset, I'm like eating, I'm sure is there.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. So nice deep breath in and out. And you just open your eyes for a moment, come back in. So, what stood out to you there? I you know we went through a few different things and I do want to work on something specifically here in a moment, but what stood out to you just in that interaction? Um,
1: Anger, I guess. Repressed anger.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about the anger?
1: Well, when I was little, I think I bottled it up because I was a kid and my mom was more powerful than me. Mm-hmm. When I was in like high school and junior high, I can distinctly remember I wrestled. I was a pretty strong kid. And I remember the day when my mom, she was sober at this point, like I said, for like eight years. And but she was really harsh and critical. Like her addictions migrated other places. and mm-hmm. She went to backhand me across the face or something like that. Cause she didn't like what I said. It's a snotty teenager, of course that time and I caught her hand and we just stared at each other and she realized that like that she couldn't like physically push me around Mm -hmm. and I realized that she couldn't physically push me around and it was just kind of a interesting moment Mm -hmm. and then it became more of a battle of wills between us and then she relapsed when I was 21 um, like a month after or something like that. And I was really angry, but at the same time I did everything I could to try to save her. So for, from the time she relapsed to the time she died, like so much energy was put into trying to help her, but at the same time being so angry at her. Yeah.
0: Tell me about how you tried to save. What did that look like?
1: Um, the first summer, I, my dad was kind of, well, I mean, he actually said, Matt, what do we do? (laughs) Uh, Said my name. (laughs) Um, and I spent the summer calling his insurance and, um, calling rehab facilities and trying to get it in rehab. And later on, she went to rehab and relapsed and all that. And then I brought her to my apartment in college to, I was doing this thing, a program called the Landmark Forum. And I brought her there trying to get her into that. And they wouldn't let her do it because of her psychological condition. And she relapsed in my apartment (laughs) and I had to drive her home. And then later on towards the end of her life, a couple of years later when I was, I was in the national guard and I lived in Las Vegas, but I would travel home and I was home and she went missing. And like, I put a, I got a, um, like adult protective services to try to find her. And we tried to get her committed to the state hospital and some, that didn't work out. And then the week before she died, I called her again and I was like, Please just, will you, will you get yourself some help? And she tried to do it by herself. When she died, she was actually completely sober, but she had dehydrated herself and like it was too much. She basically went through the DTs with no assistance and died. And so I internalized a lot of failure throughout that period.
0: Hmm. What are you feeling right now? It's it's a lot, Hey, just
1: heaviness. Hmm. I've recently wrote a very long letter. I spent three months writing it. And to her, it's like 10 pages long Mm -hmm. and I've read it twice, once to a group of men in the Alliance, and then a couple of days ago I read it to my wife, and each time it was emotional in different ways, and right now I guess I'm feeling that heaviness still.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of grief. There's a lot, it's a tremendous amount of grief in you. Tremendous amount. And of course there is, right? Addiction is a horrible thing. There's a helplessness there, right? A helplessness that you've taken on in some ways, right? Except it just shows up differently. For you, there's the helplessness with your weight. And there's a little bit of of anger towards it. It's a little bit of like, this is too much for me to handle. And the that external raging bull of mum's addiction has been adopted in some ways by you right has been taken on by you and and it's very common for people who have an addict as a parent especially somebody that you i mean you were responsible for her i mean my goodness 21 years old 21 formative years where you should be free Exploring, entering into adulthood, into manhood, adventuring in the world, getting to meet new people. And what were you doing, my friend? You're caretaking, right? You're playing, playing the role of a parent, trying to save someone. Did she want help? Did she want saving? Or did she re- reject it and resist it for the first little while?
1: Both. Um hmm Her demons were, it's like she couldn't overcome them. When she relapsed in my house at college, like I was, the girl I was dating, surprisingly, (laughs) her mom was an addict. And Hmm. we kind of fell into sync with what to do with my mom and to get her back home. And while she was packing her stuff, I took her for a drive to the edge of town to the mountains. Cause my mom loved the mountains and, um, I just let her talk and she shared like a lot of her, her demons, I guess, with me. Mm-hmm. I remember her putting her head on my shoulder and telling me about it. And so it was not that she didn't want the help. It was that she didn't, she didn't know how to face her own pain.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've been struggling with the same thing learning how to face your own pain, not knowing how to deal with it, not knowing how to tend to it. What does that do? What does that do for you when I say that? Makes me feel sad. Mm
1: -hmm. I, for a split second, saw myself just like in my house with my kids and my wife and I'm just deflated and not engaged because I'm overwhelmed and exhausted. Yeah. And the life, like life is hopping around me and I'm like not even a part of it.
0: Yeah, so a lot of heaviness, right? That grief is is there. Do you know what your mom was grieving? Do you know why she had been carrying around so much heaviness in her life? You don't necessarily have to share it here, but... Do you have some I know, inclination?
1: I know like I was saying she told me some of some of it. Um I know that I've learned that and I've put together that the the demons that she shared the thing the bad things that happened to her happened when she was in high school and later on. So I look back and Like, well, our family system has something before that, that put her on that path.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And I have some ideas of what that is too.
0: Yeah. All right. So we'll just one more deep breath. No, just let yourself make little fists. If you can just curl up the hands make fists, and just feel some of that strength, some of that energy move through your body. The energy of the fight, the energy of pushing back, the energy of that anger within you. So just feel that, close the eyes. How does that change what you feel in your body?
1: I still feel shaky (laughs) right now, like my whole body's shaking,
0: but... Yeah, it's shaking because... Like right now, um, Uh
1: like my nerves, like my heart, uh, just this whole experience. I'm like, I feel like I'm wired. Like, I guess I could feel the fear. I can feel the same fear of, of when I was driving my mom home from college to home and she, she jumped out of a, out of a moving car. And I thought she was dead, like in the moment. And I can feel that same fear Mm -hmm. that's that same feeling.
0: Yeah. The, the fear of letting go of her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Her, but more specifically her addiction, right? That addictive quality has been so pervasive in your life, right? So heavy layer that on top of shame, not feeling enough, and it sounds like it seems insurmountable. So I want you to just feel that quality of starting to push back against her addiction. Push back. Just the sensation and the quality and the energy of enough. You're not welcome here. You're not welcome here. And really feel that reverence in your body of you are not welcome here. And it's not that you reject it. It's not that you're telling it to fuck off. It's just setting a boundary with it. Because right now that raging bull has had a little bit too much power in your life. A little bit too much control. How do you see it impacting your family today?
1: My way of being after my mom's relapse, and particularly after her death, was control. I remember after she died, when because I was in that 20s party mode and I lived in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when friends wouldn't answer their phone or a text message or something like that just being so angry. I'm like which is silly, but I just remember getting so frustrated and pissed cuz like it wasn't what it was supposed to be and I was in the military. I was a planner by by nature. That's what we did, which is really a form of controlling things in a way. But in my family, I like want everything to go a certain way, or have. I think lately I've been a lot different, but as I've done the work. But over the years, I've like when things don't go the way they're supposed to go, I get really upset and um but i'm not like a violent person my way of being upset is to check out mhm
0: mhm yeah why is that i check out because
1: it's the first thing that comes to mind if my anger got out like i don't i don't want to my dad was really passive this is just coming to me like super passive like he would just take it And I remember one time we were at the YMCA and he wanted me to be in the adult locker room so we could hang out and talk after whatever. And they were like, hey, this is not for kids. He can't be up here. And my dad got upset and it escalated to the point like he was screaming at the top of his lungs. And they brought like a bunch of people there to like just in case. And I was like, whoa, what the hell is this? Like, who is this guy? Mm -hmm. And my dad never... He was never really like a disciplinarian with me, except for two distinct times I can remember him exploding. I don't remember this, but my little sister told me recently that the one of the times like he had me up against the wall, like holding me up against the wall. And I don't remember that at all. I was like 13. But so my dad was just passive and non-reactive. And then he would just explode. Like, he never hit anybody or hurt anybody, but it just was like, where did that come from?
0: Yeah. So you've adopted think, the same same mechanism, except where does your anger go? It goes straight at you. Yeah. Right. It goes straight at you. It's not directed at the wife and kids or people in your family. You're very protective, right? You've got a, got a strong protective mechanism. It might come out in control on your family. I would imagine if I... If you're, Your wife was on the call right now i'm sure i'd hear about that but uh, all that anger goes towards you does that resonate with you yeah Mm -hmm. yeah what are you feeling right now just sadness Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's a wellspring in there of grief right how did you grieve how did you grieve your mother's alcoholism when she was alive And did you have a chance to grieve her after she passed? Um,
1: When I was a kid, I thought it was like, I was proud that my mom recovered, which made it that much more shattering when she relapsed Mm -hmm. after like 10 years or whatever it was. And I don't think I ever really grieved it. I just, cause I was constantly trying to save her. And she died and I told myself because of some like things I had done, like going to the forum and some things like that, that I was, I was good. I had grieved it, Mm -hmm. but I just stuffed it all down and buried it. And until this summer working within the Alliance and working through writing her a letter and recently reading it, like it hadn't, I hadn't let myself do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So for for a period of time, what I want to say to you is that I think I think you need to grieve, and I think you need to grieve more than you think you do. I think you have underestimated and under-indexed how much grief and sorrow and sadness there is in you. Some tremendous experiences, tremendous hardship. Truly, you. I mean, what you've gone through is is it's it's i mean hard and challenging and you know th- these these words do not begin to touch the experience right there's a lot of grief in there hearing those things as a child being excluded from the class as a child having your mother deal with addiction trying to save her having her say very hurtful things to you about your your body your appearance who you are as a boy and as a man right so none of those none of those things have been fully grieved. They haven't been let go of. You're still carrying them, right? You're still carrying them. So for a period of time, you're going to need to grieve, right? The letter may just be the beginning, and that might not be exactly what you wanted to hear. <laughs> no, nobody wants to hear. I think you should. I think you should grieve more, <laughs> right? But this is, you know, this is a you're, you're carrying a lot of weight emotionally. It might be manifesting physically, but behind that is a tremendous amount of weight emotionally. And so that needs to be that needs to be dealt with first. And at some point there's gonna have to come a little bit of, of boundaries with it. Do you know what I mean by that? Because I don't think that you have boundaries with your sadness, with your sorrow, with with your grief. I think that it seems like they just sort of come up and then consume you. And then your only mechanism to support yourself is to avoid, right? Scrolling endlessly through the news rather than sitting being with them, feeling them. What is this trying to communicate to me right now? What, what about what I'm saying? It feels like it hits home with you.
1: All of it. Um, okay. <laughs> like I read the letter to the men in the Alliance a week ago today. And I was like, man, okay, cool. And then everything just still, I felt like a huge, like a boulder lifted off of me. But then I still felt sad. Like even just reading a paragraph of it kind of was like could still trigger emotions. And then I read it to my wife Sunday and it was a different experience. Actually, it took me longer to, like I, a lot of armor was there. But I mean, it didn't take long. It came down and emotion came out. And I'm like, wow, I thought that it wouldn't be emotional at all because I've already read it. But it was heavy
0: Mm -hmm. that time, too. There's there's, there's, There's a well there, right? There's a well. And we've started to tap that well, started to get into it. And the tendency for a lot of us, I mean, you're very strong. You had to be very strong, right? You had to be strong. You had to be strong for mom dad wasn't really standing up for you or to the addiction or setting boundaries with it. Like you said, it took quite a bit and it's not to blame him, right? It's not to, not to sort of put anything on him. I think at some point there might be some things to explore there, but I'll leave, I'll leave that for right now. Cause I don't want to overwhelm, but you had to shoulder a lot, right? You had to shoulder a tremendous amount. So now is your time to grieve. Now is your time to, let some of these things come up and come out. So I, I do want to have you back on the show to talk about the body part of things and and your weight and and your perspective of those things and work through some of the challenges that you face. But but today I wanted to just talk about the addiction. Why do you feel that is?
1: Because I have a tendency to bypass it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you haven't done you haven't done the first step yet. Accepting it. Right. Yeah. You haven't done the first step admitting that there's a problem, right? Fully. How does that land for you?
1: I guess I'm, I guess I'm, do you mean accepting like addictive tendencies with myself? Mm-hmm. I guess icky a little bit because like being a child of an addict, you tell yourself, there's no way I will ever let that happen to me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's just manifested differently. And I'm not saying that you're an addict, just so we're clear. I'm not saying yeah. that you're an addict. I'm saying that there's wisdom in going through those steps, right? Wisdom and and release and and grieving from going through those steps to understand a little bit more of what your mom went through, but also a little bit more of what you are going through in this moment and what you're having to process, right? What you're having to understand because there there are addictive qualities in there. And I think the the underpinning of some of this is a, is a tremendous amount of shame, right? Shame for your family, shame for mom, what she went through, shame for yourself, shame for what you were told, right? Shame for feeling excluded. And there's been a lot of externalization, right? If I can save mom, if I can just take care of her, if I can just get her clean, if I can just get the validation of other people, if I can just have people like me, if, if people can accept me for who I am, then I'll be okay. But underneath all that, there's still shame, right? It's still there. It doesn't go away. And so that's, and it brings us back to that cylinder, right? That heavy weighted purple cylinder, which is, is shame, right? It's shame and sadness. Those, those two things. It's a, it's a very interesting cocktail. So knowing that we don't have too, too much time left, what are you taking with you today? And I'm going to give you a little bit of something to, to work on after this. But what are you taking with you today? What did you learn in our talk today in our session?
1: Well, I learned I'm doing the right thing with the work I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some things make sense, like why it's like I want to move on to the next step of I actually have on a piece of paper I wrote down my healing journey and I wrote a bunch of things that i think i need to do and i'm um, had just checked off box 1 write a letter to my mom mm. but i guess i'm not done with that <laughs> like <laughs> step
0: well, I, 1a <laughs> i think yeah i think i think the next one is is a letter to her addiction a letter to her addiction because mom you know she's she was still your mom she, i'm sure she was wonderful at parts and she was a beautiful human being and it sounds like she meant a lot to you but her addiction is a bit of a di- different thing it's a different presence right and we have to sometimes separate those two things as my wife says love is unconditional but relationships are not relationships are conditional and sometimes we get confused because we feel like we're dealing with our mom or whoever the person is, but in actuality, what we're dealing with is the, is the addiction because the addiction is, has taken control. And so sometimes you got to deal with mom, but most of the time you were actually dealing with an addict, right? You were dealing with the addiction in her, not, not necessarily her. What does that do for you?
1: I guess it clarifies something because after writing this letter, I'm left with like seeing all those things and being like, I still love my mom and I can look at her picture right now over there and miss her, Mm -hmm. miss a lot of things about her. But then I'm like, how can I do that if I'm so angry? And I guess that makes sense that if the anger is really at her addiction and not her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I want you to write a letter from your anger to her addiction because you need to liberate your anger. Your anger is is far, it's it's not strong. It hasn't been liberated. It's actually been quite suppressed, right? And there's a fear of it a little bit. And so I want you to just liberate it a little bit. Let it loose. Let it be sharp. Let it be honed. Let it be clean, right? In the Alliance, we talk a lot about clean anger. Let it be clean in your letter to her and address the challenges, what it was like to be around that addiction what it was like to grow up with the addiction present in the house, having to tend to it as a young adult, right? Having to take care of it, the impact that it had, and let your anger really come out and and set boundaries with it and say the things that it always wanted to say. Okay, I think this is is going to be a, a really crucial step because without that clean anger, without a connectivity to it, how are your boundaries with yourself? How are your boundaries with your sorrow, with your pain, with your sadness, with your capacity to say no to yourself? How are they?
1: Pretty weak.
0: Right. Right. Cause they have the power. Right. That's your bull. Your bull is the sorrow, is the sadness, is the, is the heaviness. And right now it just has a little bit too much power. Does that land for you? Yeah. Good, my friend. Good. All right. So we're going to wrap up there. I appreciate you. Um, We're going to have you back on. And because that other conversation we kind of touched on, but there were some other things that we needed to deal with. So I I appreciate you joining us today. Would you be open to coming back on and talking about those things? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful, my friend. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, For everyone that's out there listening Um, You know, addiction is something that many of us struggle with. I'm always surprised when I work with people in groups and I ask people, have you, do you know anyone? Have you been, have you been impacted directly by addiction? And usually, you know, 90 to a hundred percent of people's hands go up and it's more commonplace than we think. Addiction has been in my family. It's been in in almost every single person's family system that I know in some way, shape or form. And so these are important conversations and we can feel helpless around addiction. We can feel hopeless around addiction. We can feel like addiction is something that is all consuming and pervasive and we don't know how to handle it. And so these types of conversations that we had today um, can be quite potent for helping other people see that their experience is not um just theirs. It's not that they're not alone in that experience and so i just again i thank you my special anonymous guest for being on the show for being brave to dive into this topic and um and help feel us through some of these difficult conversations uh so definitely share this podcast episode with with a few people that you know will benefit from it um and until next week this is connor beaton signing off